If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're camping out this morning, and Pastor Andrew um, gave a little bit of a taste of the direction that our text is taking us. Um, but uh, we hope that this series has been encouraging to you uh, and encouraging uh, for those of you that are still meeting in your small groups. Uh, it's been encouraging to your small groups as well. But Ephesians chapter 4, um, if I gave this sermon a title, it would be Christ's Gifts to the Church. Christ's Gifts to the Church. And we're going to be looking um, starting with verse 7. And really from verse 7 to verse 10, I'm going to read that. Press pause, just make a couple of um, observations, then read the rest of our passage this morning, um, and then we're, we're going to spend the bulk of our time uh, on verses 11 through uh, 16. And so Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 7, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. He says, but, and, and again, this a shift can, from the direction that he was going in, um, in the verses prior to that, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, when Christ is who the Apostle Paul was applying this psalm to, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, verse 9, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so two things I just want to briefly make mention of for time's sake. First is that according to, uh, especially verse 7 here, grace is given to every believer. Um, uh, grace is given to every believer for particular gifts that have been assigned by Christ for the advancement of his kingdom, okay? So grace, gifts have been given to God's church by Christ as Christ sees fit to build uh, his kingdom, to, to make his kingdom come um, in uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And then secondly, Christ does this. Christ gives gift to, gifts to men. He, he gives them grace so that they can be obedient to the Great Commission that's been entrusted to disciples, not just in the generation of, of Christ, but in uh, subsequent generations. Christ does this because he has authority. And if you're familiar with the Great Commission, right, Matthew chapter 28, we tend to focus on verses 19 and 20, but uh, 19 and 20 gain their uh, power from verse 18, which is that, all authority has been given to Christ Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul is even pressing into here is that Christ gives gifts to men. He gives grace to men so that they can expand the kingdom of God. And he does so because he has authority. And Paul quotes and applies Psalm 68, which in context, Psalm 68 applies uh, literally, if you will, to uh, the, the reign of David, the the, uh, the kingship of, of Saul coming to a pass and David ascending the throne. But spiritually, it applies to Christ, which is, is uh, just kind of a principle of interpreting the word, right? We can, we can look at literal things that happen in the Bible and we can see kind of an enduring, overarching, if you will, spiritual message. And so Psalm 68, the Apostle Paul is kind of extrapolating, if you will, a spiritual interpretation of Psalm 68, and he's applying it spiritually to Christ. 
And so he, and as he does this, he shifts the language, if you will, of Psalm 68 to help his readers understand that spiritual application. So the bottom line of Paul's usage of Psalm 68 here in verses um, 8 and verse 9 is highlighting the fact that Christ Jesus has authority. Right? Okay, We're not waiting for him to have authority. He has authority through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, Christ accomplished for us, his church, reconciliation, which we've spent a lot of time talking about over the last several weeks, and he also accomplished for us the benefits that come with reconciliation. Okay, so reconciliation and gifts, which is what we're seeing, that we're seeing that word here in the ESV, right, are, are benefits we enjoy because as Christians, we have union with Christ, right? What Christ earned, we have a rightful inheritance of because we as believers enjoy union with Christ, right? I prayed a moment ago about the righteousness of Christ, us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because when God the Father looks at us, he sees Christ. We share union with Christ. So it's as if we, even though we did not, it's as if we did uh, live a perfect life. It's as if we did go to the cross. It's as if we did die and resurrect again. That's how closely our lives are associated with Christ Jesus. And so we get the reconciliation that Christ accomplished. We get the gifts. We get the benefits that Christ earned. And we enjoy that because we share union with Christ. So the gifts given to men by way of our union with Jesus, which is what Paul's saying in our text this morning, enables us to accomplish the Father's plan of building the church. Are you with me so far? All right, let's keep, let's keep working through this because verses 11 through 16 is where we're going to kind of camp out, if you will, this morning and, and spend a lot of time really even in verse 11 here. But starting with verse 11, the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, and he gave, okay, we're still talking about gifts here, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, okay, for the purpose of to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's pray, and then we're going to work through as much of this as we have time to, which means not a lot. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's enduring. Thank you, Lord, that we can open it, God, together and work through it, talk um, about uh, the implications of your word for our lives so that your Holy Spirit can take your word, apply it to us, change us so that we can walk um, as you want us to walk, Lord, so that we can work properly as verse 16 speaks of here in Ephesians 4. And we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
So there's a lot of stuff here, right? And so and with any time we're, we're covering uh, Scripture, uh, there are things that unfortunately the pastor has to choose to neglect. And so you're going to hear me neglect things this morning that I wish uh, I could uh, spend weeks in. But if you're jotting down, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we want to see is there's a diversity of gifting in the local church given by Christ. There's a diversity in gifting in the local church given by Christ. And now we, we can take this listing, particularly in verse 11, right? Let's just zoom in for a minute and let's just look at verse 11, okay? We can take this listing in verse 11, we can take it in a couple of directions and I'm going to attempt, I don't know if I'm going to do it well, but I'm going to attempt to talk about it in two ways. We can talk about it as official offices, okay? And we can talk about it uh, being that offices that are held, right? Positions that are held. And we can also talk about it in terms of gifting, that people are gifted in certain ways. And I'm, again, I'm going to try to talk about it in those two ways. I think primarily there seems to be, um, for just the majority, uh, given the context of this, there seems to be an emphasis the Apostle Paul is talking about, about in regards to the office. Um, but I think that we're all uniquely gifted in some of these ways too. Um, and so we can talk about giftings, we can talk about offices. If we, in regards to giftings, these aren't the only ones given in Scripture, right? And if you've been in church life for any length of time, you know that. You can look at places like Romans chapter 12, you could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you could see other giftings. But, but these are the only ones that we're going to focus on today because they're the only ones in our text this morning. And now in regards to these being offices, some of these um, I'm going to put forth to you. Uh, I think are expired offices. Some of these offices I don't think are still in existence uh, today. So, um, and then some of these are still offices in the local church today. And so we're going to just break down these offices, and again, we'll look at them as well as giftings, and by God's grace get a clearer picture, uh, particularly on verse 11, that'll help us see the rest of this passage more clearly too. But uh, first, if you're jotting down notes, apostles and prophets, and I've kind of lumped those two together, even though they're, um, there's some overlap, they're also distinct uh, from one another. But as an office, um, these were concluded in the first century. Apostles, prophets, cons- concluded in the first century. To hold the office of apostle, you had to be, number one, you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And we've seen, and we've talked about this before, but the Apostle Paul even calls himself the least of the apostles, and I think some of that is because of his testimony, because of his, his former sins, his history of persecuting God's church, but I think also maybe um, because he witnessed the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. He didn't spend as much time with Christ as the other apostles did, and so there may be some of that behind uh, him calling himself the least of the apostles as well. Um, and so an eyewitness to the resurrection, the body, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, okay, qualification number one. Qualification number two, appointed by the Lord. They had to be appointed by the Lord. Every apostle down to Matthias replacing Judas was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. They were an eyewitness to the life, uh, most of them to the life of Christ, and they were appointed by the Lord. So what we're looking at when we see the office of an apostle, uh, and we speak about apostle in context of office to be held, we're looking at a foundational gift. Okay, this is a foundational gift to the church to inaugurate church planning, to inaugurate the spread of the gospel um, to every corner of the earth, every creature 
of the earth. And, and this gospel was being spread by the apostles within the same generation that Christ lived. Now, to be an official prophet, it, it meant that you were revealing truth or um, unveiling truth, or as the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, revealing mystery, right? We, we've talked, uh, the, the Apostle Paul has used the word mystery. We've talked about him unveiling mystery, mystery being that the gospel is, is uh, from people, from, for people, for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right? All corners of the earth, the gospel extends to the chief of sinners. It extends um, uh, to to um, all types of people everywhere, right? Paul, the Apostle Paul is revealing that mystery in the book of Ephesians. But prophets also prophesied about coming events, future telling, if you will, things that were yet to happen. And we see prophets in the Old Testament doing that, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. And, and we see even in the New Testament, John the Baptist preparing the way uh, for Christ. And we see Jesus, one of the offices he held, prophet priest and king, right? There's Matthew 24. He talks about the destruction of the temple that was to come in AD 70. And so um, prophecy had a sort of a future telling to it as well. And, uh, and the requirement to be a prophet was to be appointed by God in 100% accuracy. Appointed by God in 100% accuracy. And that accuracy was important because accuracy was how you, um, you got rid of all the false prophets, these self-appointed prophets that claimed to speak on God's behalf. And if you weren't 100% accurate as a prophet, right, and you said, thus saith the Lord, according to Deuteronomy 18, you were to be executed by stoning to death, right? And so, um, and Right, we have we have all kinds of self-appointed prophets in our day and age, don't we? Right, and I sometimes think, man, if if Deuteronomy 18, if the Levitical law in that sense was still enacted, there would probably be a lot less self-appointed pro- that, that people would be hesitant to say, "I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord." Right, and so uh, Deuteronomy 18, 100% accuracy was what was required of a prophet, and they had to be appointed. By God, so they weren't going to be self-appointed prophets. They they would keep false prophecies to a minimum in the government of God. So, based on on those qualifications, what we should conclude is that the office of apostle and prophet have ceased. And and here's why that should matter to you. Okay, that that's I know teachy, if you will, but this is why that should matter. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. If people come to you with new revelations from God. Right? If, if people come to you as self-appointed prophets, as self-appointed apostles, beware. Beware. Right? These were foundational gifts that were given that are no longer around or needed today. Right? We have the complete closed canon of Scripture. Right? God is finished speaking audibly. God's not inspiring people to add addendums to the Bible. God's finished writing the Bible, and everything He wants to say to us has been preserved by His Holy Spirit in the Scripture, in the Word. So if, if we want to hear God's voice, we need to read the Scripture, and we need to pay attention to the illuminating work the Holy Spirit does in us as we submit ourselves to obey God's Word. Right? The, the Lord really does use the indwelling Holy Spirit 
um, that was given to us, right? Everyone who's in Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them, and he really does use the Holy Spirit to take Scripture and to apply it to our lives, to convict us, to conform us more into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the Word on the Lord's Day to convict and to conform us more into the image of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is not going to reveal to you some new revelation that has yet to be spoken that we need to add to Scripture. Amen? Okay. So the movement that, that, that is looking for this fresh word from the Lord, okay, or, or visions or revelations really stems, and, and I mean this with the, the utmost respect, but it really stems from a discontent with the word of God, right? If we get down to the root of it, it stems from a discontentment with the word of God. God carefully crafted the word. He's carefully preserved. He's kept his word uh, pure in all ages, and everything we need is in Scripture. Right? And Jesus, according to John chapter 1, he was the final word of God. So we look to Christ through the Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are to be content with that. So as an office, apostle, prophet, ceased. As gifting, let's speak to it as a gifting, okay? To, to, uh, to, and, and to hold the office of apostle, just as a side note, but I, I don't have time to spend on this, but to hold the office of a, a apostle or prophet consisted of other giftings, future-telling, revelatory gifting uh, that, that I would say has ceased, but, but that, that's um, a sermon for another day. But having apostolic gifting, okay, it, it could relate to church planting, okay, although it would be inappropriate to call people uh, apostles who are church planting, right? I talked about church planters at the beginning of the service and us, our need to pray for those missionaries. It would have been inappropriate for me to say, let's pray for Apostle Jesse. Let's pray for Apostle Ahmed. These are church planters. These are pastors, if you will, but they're using, uh, they're ap- acting apostolic, if you will, by going and planting local churches. And, and we need uh, people involved with planting local churches. Being prophetic, right? The, having this gift of prophecy, if you will, could be related to applying Scripture in timely and in practical ways, okay, and in helpful ways. And we need people that are skillful in, in applying the Scripture in truthful ways. But saying that that person is a prophet would be inappropriate, to say, man, that was prophetic, and we've heard that before, right? Could be, man, they're Johnny on the spot with, man, they, they discern by the power of the Holy Spirit that something is going on in an individual's life, and they take the Word of God, and they help this person walk in righteousness by applying the Word of God, right? That's a prophetic thing to do, but that person would not be holding the office of prophet. And we need people with this gift of prophecy, if you will. These people um, can be pastors. These people can also be church planners. These people can be counselors. These people can be mentors in the church. We need loads of counselors and loads of mentors in the church that can take the word and help someone rightly apply it to their lives. Someone that's bold, someone that fears God more than fears man and uh, is for people's good by holding God's word up and saying, I love you, 
let's look at this and let's humbly submit ourselves to what it says. And so we need these as giftings in the context of the local church. And if that's you this morning, I would uh, encourage you to consider things like mentorship or counseling, or if the Lord is stirring in your heart uh, um, as a a young man, middle-aged man, older man, man, I need to do more pastoral eldering type stuff. That's maybe something the Lord is putting in my heart. Go down that road. See, let's see how far um, you get down that road. Let's have a conversation about that. And so we want um, this place to be a place where you can use your giftings for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so we need these to be practiced in, other, in order to, to further God's kingdom. The second uh, gifting that you see, and maybe it's an office, is evangelist in verse 11 here. And, and I'm not sure if this is ever, was ever an official office in the church, uh, or if this is just a gifting, but, um, but it, it certainly is a clear gifting. And as Christians, we could say that we all should be evangelizing, right? We should be a people that aren't hoarding the truth of the gospel, right? If we have something that can reconcile people to the God who created them, it, is, um, it should be our joy to call them to repentance, Right? And so we shouldn't be people that, that hoard this gospel that's been entrusted to us. We want to, to share the gospel. But some people are uniquely gifted in evangelism, right? Uh, Pastor Andrew preached here last week, and, and I think he's uniquely gifted in evangelism. I, st- I told him that he has the unique gifting to make people feel uncomfortable and not care about it. And... Um, <laughs> And if you know him, you know that that's absolutely right. But uh, I think in some shape, form, or fashion, you got to kind of have that personality um, to be the type of evangelist that I would call, man, you're uniquely gifted to be an evangelist. It really is like, man, I, this is going to make you uncomfortable, and I don't really care. And uh, uh, my, I have a neighbor that's like that. I went out for a walk just this week, and, uh, and I was walking by his house and uh, asked him how you were doing, how he was doing, and uh, he's one of those people that really go into more detail than other people do about how they're doing. And, uh, and so about 45 minutes later, um, I responded, and, uh, and I said, well, well, praise God that you're doing well. That's the bottom line. He was doing well. And, um, and when I said praise God for doing well, he said, do you mean that? Or is that just a cliche that you use? That was the way, that was his way in to evangelize me, and he has evangelized me every time I've spoken to him, and so I think he thinks I need to be more saved, but, um, uh, but that guy has this gift of evangelism, like it doesn't matter who's going to, whoever walks by him when he's out in his yard working or doing whatever, they're going to hear about the gospel, right, and, and, uh, and he doesn't care if that offends you, he's, he's um, committed to loving a person past um, caring about the offense that they're going to take for him talking about Christ Jesus. And I think that but he's uniquely gifted in the gift uh, of evangelism. And so we need bold evangelists. We need people that have that wiring, that have that gifting to be committed to doing that. And it starts in your home, it branches out to your neighbors, and it goes on from there. And so, um, but because we're all supposed to be evangelists in, in a type of way, I wanted to commend even another type of evangelism and challenge you to do it. And I think our current uh, COVID crisis, if you will, um, is, is perhaps it would be challenging to do this, but could, um, I think, be helpful to do this. And I'll explain why in a minute. But uh, I think we should all as Christians be practicing evangelistic hospitality, right? Evangelistic hospitality. We having, um, making your neighbor a meal, 
dropping it off, right? Having neighbors over for dinner, going to the grocery store for them if they're too afraid to go out and shop for groceries, checking in on them, or uh, being just warm and inviting and, and committed to them for the long term with the hopes of speaking into their lives uh, about Christ, right? Commit yourself to pray for your neighbors, listen to them, learn from them, be a presence in their lives. This is um, hospitable evangelism, if you will, right? People without Christ right now, they're scared to death, aren't they? Right? If, you, if you've been wandering out of your home outside of coming here to uh, worship together, people are scared to death right now, and it's not going away. It's just not going away. Negative news sells, and the news is going to continue to perpetuate fear-mongering news, right? Government expands. That's what government does, and so government continues to regulate, right? Um, And, I I mean, just this week, my wife and I went to the grocery store, and um, and I typically don't tag along um, to help her grocery shop because uh, I bring her down. And the... um, and so I went on a rare occasion this, this go-around, and, uh, and we were walking in a particular grocery store that had, um, the, it's one ways, so they've kind of changed the route of the grocery store, and, uh, and we were going up the wrong way because I didn't notice the uh, things on the floor. And, uh, and so I'm going down the aisle, and this young lady, probably in her early 20s, she's got a mask on, I have a mask on, everybody has a mask on because you've got to have a mask to get groceries, and... Um, and so she's got a mask on, I got a mask on, but I'm going up the wrong way. And we scared her so bad, she huddles against the, uh, the aisle, and she's lo- her back's turning, she's looking back at me, right? And I was surprised at that reaction. And, um, and so uh, we kind of stare at each other for a minute. I don't even realize I'm going down the wrong aisle. I realized it, and then we moved on. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is kind of the place that our culture is, right? This is kind of like there's a lot of fear in our culture. And I don't think that that's going away anytime soon, right? I think that's just kind of the the climate that's in the air, if you will. And it got me thinking um, as I was working through this text that Christians have to lead the charge in casting out fear, Right, the, the church has to lead the conversation because we have the hope of the gospel. And I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm not talking about um, just intentionally making people uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't mean to make this girl uncomfortable. But what I am saying is that we can't be paralyzed by the fear that an unbelieving culture is paralyzed by. Right? We have the hope of Christ whether we live or whether we die. Right? We have the hope of Christ Jesus, and we don't engage as evangelists. We don't engage in corporate worship when we peek out the window and see that the coast is clear. Right? At some point, we've got to, as God's church, start engaging and be obedient in the way that we're coming together and worshiping corporately and as people who are heralds of the gospel. Right? The coast isn't going to get clear. We've just got to start living as ambassadors for Christ. And so don't be paralyzed by fear. We need to change the narrative through gospel-centered acts. 
Those are the keys to the kingdom that the Lord has given to us, that he's entrusted to us, and we've got to start loving through gospel-centered acts. It's, it's up to us as believers to show a scared, Christless culture how to love well, right? how to re-engage without fear, how to warmly re-embrace people and not look at people as disease carriers, right? We're to be looking at people as created in the image of God, and we should be interacting with them on that identity level, people being created in the image of God. So we're to be evangelists, and right now what we're, what we're saying is Christ is the hope of the world and life and in death. And so be an evangelist. C, shepherds and teachers. Right? As an office, um, this would be an elder uh, pastor, right? Elders, pastors, and scripture that's used um, interchangeably, right? Um, but they're gifts given to the church for your spiritual good, right? Pastors are to guard the congregation through the preaching of the word, right? Pastors are to keep watch over your spiritual well-being and help you persevere in your faith. And as elders, we should be feeding you the, the word. Um, uh, the word of God should be something that um, you're feasting on, both uh, publicly, we should be helping you to feast on the word of God, and privately, we should be helping you feast on the word of God. And, and your role as a congregation is to submit yourself to faithful teaching of the word, knowing that the word of God, when it's rightly divided, really is the word of God. Now, many of us could be gifted in this area if we speak of it as a gifting, right? And this, this type of person has, has a fear of God, a love for the church, and, and the ability to rightly interpret and apply God's word to the people that have been entrusted to them, to their spheres of influence. And the, the church can always use more shepherds. The church can always use more teaching. There is plenty of shepherding work that needs to be done at Coastal Deer Park, right? Just, just Coastal Deer Park. There's a lot of shepherding work that needs to be done. And perhaps the best way to use this gifting here at Deer Park is to pursue small group leadership or to teach a spiritual formation class or teach at the Peninsula Rescue Mission that we, we partner with or, or come on board as, as one of our counselors or mentors. We, we provide training. We provide riverbanks for those kinds of things. But we would love to, to have you involved. The next thing I want you to see is that the gifts Christ give, gives us have a purpose. They have a purpose, right? Verses 12 through 14 here. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? No gift that Christ gives is for self-edification. Right? No, no gift that Christ gives is for self-edification. It's, it's, it's not only God-focused, but it's others-focused as well. Right? These gifts that are given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit are gifts given so that we can push back on the darkness of this present age, of this present culture, and expand the light, expand the borders of the kingdom of God here on earth in this time, right? In this time. Not, not that we're, we're waiting and it's just going to get weirder and darker and darker and darker until it's just a flicker and there's no gospel left and then Jesus comes in, but 
Jesus said he has authority and he told us to go and he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven, in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And so he has authority, he's given us a job, and we're to push back and announce that Christ in fact has authority, right? And so there's purpose to this gifting that we have. And, and in this section, we see there's an equipping piece, right? In other words, we're, we're looking inside the church here, not, not outside, just outside the church for the moment. But, and because we look at this particular list primarily as, primarily as offices and then giftings, the, the equipping piece in this passage makes more sense. For instance, uh, a part of my job as your pastor is to, to equip you through the ministry that God's called me to so that you can mature in Christ, be planted in Christ, and go out and expand the kingdom of God, which is what's assumed in this passage. And, and I also, though, hope that, that my equipping of you helps you to equip others that you're presently discipling in our church, in your lives, right? We, we should be discipling as God's church. And, and I like to think of discipleship in the way the Apostle Paul um, tells the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, all right? We should all have people in our lives that are imitating us as we follow Christ Jesus. Not because we're making them our own personal disciples, but because we want them to be mature disciples of Christ Jesus, because we're consistently pointing to our Savior, right? Therefore, our lives as Christians, our Christ-centered, gospel-saturated, focused lives should be worth emulating. And this disciple-making work, this equipping work, it strengthens the body of Christ, right? It, it, it strengthens us. And, and this is a big piece of what our, our corporate worship services are about, strengthening and equipping those who are in Christ so we can make disciples, but also so that we can strengthen younger, weaker disciples. And, and isn't that the Great Commission, right? Jesus says to make disciples, and, and we oftentimes limit our work to that, to just even just evangelizing, if you will. But that's not the only part of the Great Commission, is it? Right? There's more to it. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. He says, give them a Trinitarian baptism. And he says, teach them to obey all I've commanded you. Teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. That process isn't finished with anyone. There's still work to be done with all of us in that regard. That's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment of us submitting ourselves to people discipling us, and it's a lifelong commitment of us investing in people who need to be brought along in gospel-centered sanctification, right? which gets to the question implied in our text this morning. How long should we do this for? How long should we be committed to the disciple-making work? And Paul answers, right, verse 13 and 14, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? In other words, until Christ Jesus returns, right? the disciple-making work of evangelizing, of baptizing, of maturing, so that we won't drift ever. Right? A sign of immaturity Okay, a sign of immaturity is being blown by every wind of doctrine. And all we need to do is spend just a few minutes paying attention to the things that we say or to the things that we think about or the things that we write on social media or through an email or through a text message to see how often 
we drift, how prone we are to be deceived by sin's deceitfulness. Right? Equipping is for the purpose of unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mature Christians are not blown by every trend or fad or movement designed by human cunning that the enemy uses to take us away from the gospel, take us away from Christ, or make us say things like the gospel isn't enough or the gospel isn't practical. Listen, that means that the way that we do church, it really matters. Right? If my sermons that I'm preaching to you on Sunday aren't grounded in the Scripture and I'm using the, the pulpit as some form of weapon to throw opinions or agendas at you, then we need to shut the door. Right? If our prayers aren't God-focused, if our songs aren't summarizing great lofty doctrines in the Scripture that warm our affections for Christ, if what we're doing both corporately and then as an extension of that as individuals isn't motivating us toward maturity in Christ and provoking us to take other people along with us, then we all need to reevaluate where we are in our walk with Christ and what we're doing here as God's church. God promises to use the way we do ministry, word, sacrament, and prayer to build and equip his church so that people can continue as we go out, right, to every tribe, every tongue, every, every nation, starting with our actual neighbors, to announce the universal kingship of Christ until Jesus returns. So the aim in these offices, the aim in these giftings are Christ-focused maturity, a, a level-headedness in the gospel, and then the last thing I'm just going to make mention of is verse 15 here. Christ, is the, he's the head of the body, so he, dis, he designed precisely how we function, precisely the route that we take, right? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him, into Christ, who's the head, right? As a church commits itself to equipping, right? We, instead of being blown by every wind of doctrine, which is a sign of spiritual immaturity, we grow in our knowledge, love, and commitment to truth, Okay? And, and a church has Christ as her head that uses Christ's word and methods in worship and mission. So when, when we begin to get clever and inventive, we, we find ourselves already down the road away. Right? If, if we're to grow up healthy, which is what every parent wants for his or her child, right? We grow into Christ who's the head of the church. And our path to grow into Christ is one he's already paved for us. Right? He paved it through the apostles and the prophets. Right? The path is well-worn. The roads are old. They're well-traveled roads. They're not newly paved ones. And as pilgrims, we walk a path that, that, that was long established before us. And it's this path that, that biblical shepherds and teachers continue to tell us about today. And so Christ is the head of the body. He designed precisely how we function. It's not a new way, it's an old way. We walk in that, we grow into full maturity as the words rightly divided, and we commit ourselves to discipling each other and people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in a way that honors Christ, honors his word, and we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with that said, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to, um, as Christ's church, we're going to feast on Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, God. Thank you, um, Lord, that you have given gifts to the church so that we can um, grow in maturity. God, we, 
This morning, our call to worship was about acceptable worship, Lord. We can offer acceptable worship because of Christ, Lord, but expand our perspective on that as you sanctify us by your Spirit through your Word. And Lord, help us to take the things that we learn, that we wrestle with here. Help us to take those to the people outside of the walls of this building so that they can draw near to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.